Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show I do where I talk about the stuff that I've seen since the last time I did one of these. Um, I'm David, uh, and yeah, I am aware that it has been a while since I did one of these. Um, at first, that was because I wasn't seeing stuff that I could talk about between... Um, uh, between, like watching William Friedkin movies for to catch up with that episode and then AFI Fest um there was a lot of stuff that I wasn't going to talk about on because I was going to talk about it on the profile or on the AFI wrap-up uh so I for a while I didn't really have enough movies to bother doing one of these and then suddenly I couldn't do one for weeks at a time and now I'm like way behind so let's just dive in and you'll see how long it's been because I'm uh, going to kick things off by talking about the fact that I watched Friday the 13th on Friday the 13th of October. Uh, so two months ago. Um, I had never seen it before. Um, I don't think it's that great, <laughs> to be honest. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting, though, when movies are such a part of the culture that you think you know what they are and they surprise you not necessarily in a good way or bad way here but like i think i had just in mind that this was the friday the 13th was more of a halloween knockoff which it clearly is but i i didn't know that it was such like rift so much on psycho and i would i guess in retrospect i should have realized with the mother-son relationship that I, I shouldn't have been surprised but i didn't know that it was also a psycho riff um all right um next up i saw um sebastian silva's rotting in the sun and it's fantastic uh i guess you know word of warning trigger warning or whatever for like unsimulated sex acts in a movie um but uh um i only seen one sebastian silva film before i haven't seen uh the one with michael Sarah, which actually gets referenced in this movie um that people like uh which i'm forgetting the name of i'd only seen nasty baby and i didn't really like it so i um when I heard about Riding in the Sun, it felt very self-indulgent because it's Sebastian Silva playing a version of him, him himself who's, like, uh, depressed and at a sort of, like, creative block. Um, and uh, I thought that was going to be indulgent, and um, it is, but it's it ends up being a fantastically dark comedy um, in, in which Sebastian Silva as himself meets... Uh, the American comedy writer Jordan Firstman also playing a version of himself and they collaborate they team up to collaborate on an artistic project that Sebastian Silva is only begrudgingly going along with because he needs the money um, and uh, I can't say much more than that because it has a lot of surprises it is not at all directed with a light hand or soft touch it's uh, it's an intense uh stressful movie with a lot of handheld close-ups and push-ins and uh the pace does not let up in the movie um which lends to like the screwball comedy part of it but also the like kind of mystery thriller part of it that it becomes but i'm not getting into that uh it's an intense movie it's 
dark it's hilarious it's uh definitely provocative i mentioned the unsimulated sex act sex acts plural uh but yeah fantastic movie riding in the sun um one of my favorites of the year i think probably uh okay killers of the flower moon um i i saw that and uh if you now, if you subscribe to the Patreon, patreoncom slash pretension and we do Scott's movie journal, you would have already heard me and Scott's thoughts. And it feels like um, it's sometimes difficult not to react to the reaction because obviously it's Killers of the Flower Moon is Martin Scorsese. Obviously, it's a really well-made film, and I still gave it um, really good marks on my Letterboxd and everything. Uh, I do think it has a problem with its main character, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, where he's kind of such a dolt that he's not really interesting for like the first like 90 minutes of this three and a half hour movie. And it's not until, and and there's, but there's also screenplay wise, there's an, there's an intentionality to that of like, slowly revealing his culpability in the crimes that are uh happening in in the movie so i i understand dramatically why it's paced out like that but it does have a problem where i'm like literally anyone else in this movie would be a more interesting main character than than this guy uh but it's still full of great filmmaking great great moments um yeah you've probably all seen it by now so i should probably just shut up uh saw a new um i guess it's not quite a documentary it's um made by the same guys who directed um chico and rita which i which i didn't see um it's so it's called they shot the piano player and um Jeff Goldblum voices it's it's an animated movie and Jeff Goldblum voices a a, a music writer not someone who writes music but a journalist who writes about music um, who is assigned a story about uh, Brazilian samba but while he's down there in Brazil he uncovers the story of a pianist who uh was disappeared and presumed killed in Argentina during um, Argentina's 1970s um, dictatorship. Uh, thank you very much for that, Henry Kissinger. Um, and uh, yeah, the animation part, because it does feel like a document. A lot of it is just interviews with real people, but they're animated. Um, it, so that that definitely adds something to it, but it is... At the end of the day, it's pretty much a documentary about this guy. Uh, I had to look it up. Francisco Tenorio Jr. Um, Or Tenorio, I think. Because they say it over and over again. Tenorio. Um, uh, But it's also like filled wall to wall with like great music. If you like Samba, which I don't think I really realized that I did. But I guess I do. Um, So that's They Shot the Piano Player. Um... Uh, I gotta make sure to say a big um between every title because uh, there's at least one listener who is annoyed by that. Sorry, man. That's the nature of this podcast. It is off the 
cuff. It is not a professional endeavor. Uh, all right, another documentary. A Still Small Voice, directed by Luke Lorenzen. Um, some listeners might remember that back in 2019, 18, I put um, a documentary called Midnight Family on my top 10 movies of the year list. <clears throat> A Still Small Voice is Luke Lorenzen's next movie. It follows a woman who works or is in the early stages, like as a trainee, sort of, as a hospital chaplain. Um, it's a kind of non-denominational type of thing. It's it's run by a um, some sort of Christian reverend type, uh, but she's Jewish. Um, they're just there to like lend spiritual support to um hospital patients and what's what i love about luke lorenzen is that he takes takes premise i don't know premises like situations that seem like they're ripe for a documentary um like why not yeah that's that sounds what i just said sounds like it's pretty interesting but then finds his own way in um and a lot of it is very personal to the character so this is not a movie about what it's like to be a hospital chaplain though you do learn that it's a movie about this woman and um the way that she you come to understand without being told that's okay i'm gonna repeat myself but this is one i i know i've said this sort of something about this before but this is something i need to say about documentaries i I generally am less interested in documentaries or I'm generally uninterested in documentaries that are pieces of like pre-researched sort of here I have done the research I have reached a conclusion and now I'm going to use the documentary form to tell you what I want you to tell you I am much more interested in documentaries to take a shape of like hey let's find out together let's why don't you come with me and we'll learn together um or you'll see me the documentarian learn and that's really what a still small voice is it's 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 curiosity is not what's it like to be a hospital chaplain it's curiosity is about this woman what drew her to this what um is perhaps plaguing her that she is trying to address uh is is it working uh is is it healthy um it's it's a it's a fascinating portrait of a person who is very much interested in doing good in the world but is also uh struggling very much with being good to herself um so fantastic Next up, the new Hayao Miyazaki, The Boy and the Heron. Uh, on the one hand, it does feel like it's kind of returning to a certain well for Hayao Miyazaki because, um, like Spirited Away, it is about a child who sort of gets uh, drawn into a fantasy realm. Uh, on the other hand, like, who am I to complain about that? <laughs> like... Spirit Away is great. The Boy and the Heron is also pretty great. Um, it's it's beautiful. It's it, it, like yeah, like Spirit Away. It's beautiful. It's psychedelic. Uh, it's uh, emotional. 
and um, I know he says he's going to retire one of these days, but uh, I kind of hope we just keep getting more of these. All right, sorry, take a drink of water. Next up. Uh, So, uh, the director's name is Wang Bing. The documentary, a lot of documentaries, very documentary heavy this this time around, uh, is called Youth Spring. That's the word youth, and then in parentheses, spring. I think my understanding is that it's the first in a planned trilogy of documentaries, so I'm wondering if they're going to be youth summer and youth fall or whatever. I don't know, but this one's called Youth Spring, Uh, and it's a a three-and-a-half-hour documentary about uh, young people, some in their teens, I think the oldest are in their early thirties, but they're mostly like young, like early twenties, uh, people who work in, uh, garment factories, essentially sweatshops, um, in Huzhou city in, in China. Uh, and so I guess there's a district of a lot of these that seem to just be like apartments, that they've shoved a bunch of sewing machines and and other stuff into and um then there's another apartment where the kids young people all live together and they work um these like crazy um uh what's i'm looking for uh quotas and and stuff like that um and the uh the structure of the movie is that it's it's divided into a bunch of different sections, each one focusing on a different one of these sweatshops. So you basically have like, it's three and a half hours, but you have like, I'd just probably say like six to eight, what you might call like episodes that are all about a different, uh, uh, sweatshop. And, um, once again, talking about documentaries, this is not at all a documentary that is, um, saying here's what it's like to work in a sweatshop of course it is saying that but it's not an expose it's not like an installment of a television news magazine it's about these these people and um it it very uh capably resists the sort of liberal guilt uh approach of saying like isn't this a shame isn't this terrible uh, what what this um uh this blend of capitalist and communist uh society has is is sucking out of these people at the prime of their life it doesn't say that it says these are people and yes you can infer all of that but uh and sometimes they get in arguments and sometimes they get in trouble and sometimes they get demeaned by their bosses but also sometimes they flirt sometimes they have a night where they can go uh to the discos or whatever (laughs) yeah hi i'm 80 (laughs) um anyway uh they uh it it's about people living their lives in a very specific way that is presumably alien to most of the movie's viewership if i'm any indication uh and that's a great use of documentary i look forward to spending another three and a half hours uh each with the next two in the proposed trilogy 
Um, next up is one of the movies of the year for me, absolutely. Um, that's this time, of, this time of year. You, you see a lot of uh, masterpieces, I guess. Uh, Sofia Coppola's Priscilla is absolutely gorgeous, uh, for one thing. Um, it is photographed by Philippe Lesord, uh, who did The Beguiled and On the Rocks uh, with with Sofia Coppola as well. So, um, uh, in this, but it looks a little bit more like The Beguiled, I guess, in that period, hazy period piece way than it than it does On the Rocks. But On the Rocks is great, uh, and it's. Uh, uh, Kaylee Spaney plays Priscilla Presley. Um, it's great, uh, great performance in a demanding performance, and I think something that happens in a number of Sofia Coppola's movies, um, certainly Lost in Translation, but um, there's no major one that I'm that I'm. Oh, The Virgin Suicides obviously is another one that's like. Uh, people usually women for whom life is something that they are subject to as opposed to being an active participant in it's happening to them it's not what they're doing uh and i think that to get that across it has to be a somewhat muted approach this is not it's so night and day from boss lerman's elvis um not that you know uh, I feel like we're in a stupid place culturally where you can't say like you if you compare two things it means you have to love one and hate the other it's just just doing a critical technique of comparison and con- contrast I can say the movies are different uh, and maybe in some better ways I still like Bos Lerman's Elvis just get off my back imaginary troll um, anyway uh so yeah, it it requires a muted approach. Um, again, the cinematography's beauty, but not it's not spectacular or lush. It, but it is beautiful and soft. Uh, uh, helps you along, but really just Kaylee Spaney's performance and Sofia Coppola's patience um, to just like let the humanity sort of eke out of this person who is so passive in their own life um to the point that the end of the movie which i think in a more traditional biopic would have would seem anticlimactic actually feels huge because of the journey that that kelly spaney and sofia coppola have taken us on uh gorgeous one of the movies of the year for sure um next up i saw george c wolf's rustin which uh is a biopic of bayard rustin who was a civil rights activist um and very very active if not uh, the movie's argument if not um the chief architect of the 1963 march on washington in which martin luther king uh gave his famous speech uh I think as a biopic it is this on the, the script i think 
kind of just like hits the expected notes of like here's the struggles this guy uh, as a gay man um faced and here are the things he achieved and isn't that worthy of watching a movie about him and isn't that inspirational so it's not a bad screenplay but it's kind of like expected but um some really lively direction by george c wolf who made my Rainey's black bottom uh, and also you know really uh no pun intended jazzed that up um but also fantastic performances mostly coleman domingo plays bayard rustin he's always reliable and he's he's wonderful here um you've also got chris rock you've got glenn turman uh i don't know the martin luther king jr is played by amal amin i don't know um him let's see i'm looking at it looks like he was in beyond the lights which i like saw and liked but i don't really remember um he's in the maze runner but i don't think he played scorch um yeah i'm not sure uh anyway uh so i just a group of really state really uh stellar performances uh and and lively direction make this uh more or less yeah worth worth seeing i guess but maybe not worth running out to see it's it's a pretty good netflix movie which is what it is excuse me um okay major pleasant surprise for me because i'm i'm a jaded old fuck at this point and uh increasingly when a movie is a country's like official submission and it's not like from a filmmaker i've heard of already i'm like oh, what kind of boring like middle of the road shit is this gonna be uh but sometimes i'm wrong uh and that is certainly the case with the german i believe um uh oscar submission which is called the teacher's lounge and is directed by ilher satak ilker satak i think is how you say his name um and uh it is a fantastic slow burn um psychology piece of just watching a woman so the the lead performance and it's an incredibly demanding and incredibly uh, uh rewarding performance to watch uh the actress's name is leonie banesh and she plays a teacher at a i guess uh, I guess they're what we would consider like middle school age. Um, and uh, they're, I guess to give a basic introduction to the premise or of the movie, there have been a rash of thefts of both like money out of people's bags, but also like other things, um, school supplies and all that stuff have gone missing. And the uh, teachers kind of, naturally you know uh being around a lot of kids uh tend are, are blaming the kids but carla the the main character here leone banesh's character uh has a suspicion that the thief is actually a member of the faculty and um uh what's what's so fascinating about watching the movie is or, or about the way the movie unfolds is that it is a portrait of a principled woman whose 
maybe maybe her fatal flaw the thing that makes this a tragedy is that it's not enough for her to be right as in just she also wants to be right as in proven correct uh and the 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 way that her stubborn principles and goals keep running up against the reality of the way that other people view the world uh, causes what eventually I think feel feels like a complete breakdown, but it's such a slow burn. I mean, no, slow burn isn't the right word because it is like it does come to a boil, I guess, is what I'm saying. Uh, but it simmers under for a long time and you kind of like the the walls close in as, as you go on. And it's really a, a, a masterfully tense uh, bit of direction from Ilker's attack and uh, would not be nearly as effective as it is without that fantastic uh, lead performance from Leonie Banesh. So yeah, The Teacher's Lounge, very pleasant surprise. I was really happy that I saw it. Um, uh, I, then, I, okay, going back to 1970, I saw a new restoration of a French film called *The Strangler* or *Le Étrangleur*, uh, directed by Paul Vecchiali. Uh, and it's kind of a, um, I, I don't. I don't know if other people would describe it this way. It's, it feels like a dark, very dark comedy because uh, it is about a serial killer who, um, who yeah, strangles women to death, but he picks as his victims women who are sad so they won't resist. <laughs> that's what I guess that's what's darkly funny about it but it's also kind of creepy and and um he is kind of a uh psychotic um the uh actor jacques perrin um who plays the 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 killer um but it also has like a sort of musical number at a at a, at a nightclub uh and um it has a great deal of comedy uh, especially near the end where a group of uh female sex workers become like uh more or less the heroes uh at the end it's uh it's it's really fun i'm glad that it's been restored um okay next up a recent documentary very doc heavy um in fact yeah i've got yeah, I've got a few. I've got like I've got all my docs in a row. Um, uh, as a new documentary, another documentary, uh, Bobby Wine, the People's President, which is um, a documentary about a Ugandan uh, musician, a very popular Ugandan, mu- Ugandan musician named Bobby Wine, who uh, became a politician and then eventually um, ran for president and uh having a documentary crew around while this thing while this is stuff is happening is really just like a shockingly like 
vital and immediate um, portrait of corruption in Uganda. It's uh, this is one of those movies that it's uh, I mean it's not uh, breaking new ground in terms of like cinema but it's such a fascinating and compelling and gripping work of of sort of uh, journalism that uh, it's definitely worth worth seeing what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way. Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Um, okay. Next up. 1992's The Lover, which has also somewhat recently been restored. I've had the Blu-ray for a while. I just got around to to watching it. Um, based on a, what I, from what I understand, a semi-autobiographical novel by Marguerite Duras. Um, this in this movie, Jane March stars uh, as. Um, let's see. Is, I guess she doesn't have a character in the movie. Uh, she doesn't have a character name in the movie. Her character doesn't have a name. Is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but she's a. It's 1920s. Um, in in uh, 1920s Vietnam, and she's a French girl who goes to a local sort of boarding school, but she's different and she hates it there and she is again only 15 but uh strikes up a not a romance but a sexual affair with um a an adult chinese man um uh, a wealthy chinese man who lives in vietnam and saigon uh and uh yeah the the movie is about um their affair but also her sort of um unconventional coming of age i think obviously the movie if the movie you know we've had the age gap discussions the movie were released today it would be pilloried by certain people for not outright condemning um this relationship or not necessarily depicting it as something that is bad that is happening to her uh, which in a vacuum it is, but that's not the story. It's her story. It's Marguerite Duras' story um, from the point of view of a 15-year-old girl who um, feels like she's making decisions for herself. Uh, and so there's a um, burgeoning freedom uh that comes that comes with this there's also um yeah I, the uh from what i understand there there is a different cut of a shortcut of this film that's has less um is less explicit in its sex scenes it seems like i don't know what the movie would be you know without that i feel like the sex is very much uh necessary um don't worry gen z the sex is necessary um 
I was going to say, I'm glad that I saw this when I did as a mature adult. I think if I'd seen this when I was in my teens or early 20s, especially my teens, I think I would have been frustrated by the lack of commitment to being a romance. Basically, the elements are there for this to be more romantic. And there is a push and pull between whether the characters will establish themselves as a romantic pairing or just a sexual couple. And yeah, I think I would have found that frustrating when I was a less mature viewer. Instead, I find that to be the most fascinating part of it. Uh, yeah, so really terrific movie, but obviously, yeah, content warning for um, people who are age gap sensitive, which I am on the record as being, so I was able to enjoy it. Um, another documentary, uh, Might Alberti's The Eternal Memory. This is um, Chilean, and it is a portrait of a married couple, one of whom as severe dementia and uh it's really it's really rough stuff but it's also really beautiful to see the love between these two and and um what she what she does for him and also like what she wants to do for him what she sometimes becomes frustrated of course who wouldn't um and the there there's the implication that like even though he doesn't always know who she is there still remains some sort of connection between them uh so yeah pretty beautiful movie the the eternal memory um and then a, another documentary uh Raul Peck's Silver Dollar Road um which is the story of a family who uh own and have owned for generations uh, a, a plot of land in is it South Carolina? I'm already forgetting, um, but it's right on the ocean. It's oceanfront land, um, and uh, they're a black family who have lived there, and they've had family gatherings there, and it's been a part of their family for generations. And uh, it is, of course, being threatened, um, uh, and uh, yeah, so the movie is just a, a, a portrait of of them. It's definitely very uh, instructive. It's definitely very infuriating. Um, it doesn't have quite the sort of hypnotic effect of Raul Peck's last documentary, I'm Not Your Negro. Uh, but um, as a portrait of community and family, it's it's good and again it's also very frustrating um moving on to todd haynes may december uh it's so fun and rewarding this is the the high you're chasing as a as a cinephile is to go to a movie that you were really excited to see and then have it be even better than you're imagining uh May December for anyone who somehow doesn't know what the movie's about it's uh 
loosely inspired by the Mary Kay Letourneau case of a teacher who had uh, an affair with her 13-year-old student, went to prison, and then got out and married that 13-year-old student, who's obviously not 13, was now an adult, uh, and they continued to have a marriage and have more kids together. Um, so Julianne Moore plays the Mary Kay Letourneau uh, part and uh, Charles Melton whom I know I guess he was on Riverdale but I know him from The Sun is Also a Star which is an underrated um, YA adaptation uh, and he's fantastic here uh, he plays the young boy who's now a man in his 30s as the uh, uh, as when the movie takes place and then uh, Natalie Portman plays an actress who is going to be playing Mary Kay. Or sorry, her name's not actually Mary Kay. It's Gracie in the movie. Um, who plays Gracie. Who's going to be playing Gracie and is um, going to come stay with her for a few days to learn about her and, and uh, try to get closer to the character. Uh, but what what's so fun about the movie and it is fun i know obviously there's heavy stuff to it but the movie is fun because every sort of new psychological corner that you turn has the potential to re to jumble your alliances uh there is There's not actually a mystery to the movie, but it very much plays as a mystery because of how judicious Todd Haynes is uh, with parceling out either new information or just new psychological shades to the characters. Um, It's also incredibly funny (laughs) um it's it's really it just it's another masterpiece uh i'm i'm nuts about it okay uh what is this oh i watched a short film from 1963 called the critic uh which is just a bunch of like abstract shapes animated um and then Mel Brooks voices an old man who is like wandered into this art house theater and is just like talking to himself of what, about what's going on on the screen. Um, anyway, it's very funny. It apparently won an Oscar for best uh, animated short, um, which I guess the competition didn't used to be that stiff because it's not that great. But uh, yeah, it's it's fun. Um, okay next up not fun at all Um, another documentary man I'm really hitting the documentaries hard Uh, directed by Madeline Gavin it's called Beyond Utopia and it is uh, about North Korean North Korean refugees um, people who are escaping North Korea the main subject of the movie is a uh, South Korean pastor who has basically i guess he's formed a charity but he's very hands-on running this um that is that helps fund getting 
North Koreans who want to leave North Korea out. Uh, so we learn a lot about how that happens, which is like uh, you essentially cannot go directly from North Korea to South Korea because the DMZ is just too heavily guarded and too heavily landmined. Um, so you have to go to China and then uh, I'm trying to remember the map. Is it Vietnam then Laos or is it the other way around? I think it's China. You have to go all the way to Vietnam. So going around the top of North Korea to Vietnam and then you can either try to get to South Korea by taking a boat from Vietnam, or you can go through Laos to Thailand, which is the first place. So China, Vietnam, and Laos are all to one extent to another friendly enough with North Korea that if you get caught there, you're getting sent back. Thailand is the first place um, on this list where if you get caught, they won't send you back and they'll actually send you to South Korea. So we learn all of that. Now you want, you know, you know it all. But that's not what's so like gripping about the the movie is the the main story it follows is about a family of North Koreans who are all trying to escape at once, which we learn is not usually how it's done because the more people there are, the more likely they are to get caught. But it's a family, like four or five people. Um, the people who get you from North Korea through China, Laos, Vietnam, and Laos, and Thailand, um, the movie refers to them as brokers. Uh, they are not activists. They are in it for the money. Um, and uh, again, to get to what makes this movie so fascinating is that the South Korean pastor apparently made an arrangement with the brokers that he hired for this family that they would also, I'm sure he paid them extra to do, the, to do this, would also film everything or, you know, have little video cameras and film everything. So um, the the footage and the sort of experiential quality of of the movie uh is jaw-dropping um so i think that's the main reason to see it like it's it'd be hard i feel like i understand more than i than i would um otherwise uh about what this process is there's more to the movie that i don't want to say some of it's very sad uh but um yeah beyond utopia really pretty stellar documentary uh, all right, next up, William Oldroyd's Eileen, a movie I'd been looking forward to ever since I missed it at Sundance. Uh, finally got a chance to see it, and <clears throat> I loved it. Uh, and this is, you know, um, listeners know that I'm, excuse me, I've been something of a Thomas and McKenzie skeptic in the past because of the, uh, I just, I love her and leave no trace, but then I feel like she was like, she kept playing variations on the shrinking violet type, you know, and I mean, obviously I did not like Jojo Rabbit. She's not really a shrinking, shrinking violet there, but the movie is so bad that, uh, I didn't like it, but like, um, uh, last night in Soho, which again, I kind of liked, but, um, didn't love her performance. Um, but this my this has got to be my favorite performance of her since leave, leave no trace because yes, she's kind of an oddball and an outcast. Uh, outsider in her uh, in her life, but she is definitely not a shrinking violet. Um, so she plays a young woman named Eileen who works at a juvenile prison uh, during the day and at night takes care of her uh, drunken, mean widower father. 
um, uh, played by Shea Wiggum. Uh, and uh, that's kind of her life going back and forth between those two places until the prison hired a new prison psychologist played by Anne Hathaway. Uh, the movie takes place in nineteen in the 1960s, so the fact that the prison psychologist, the new prison psychologist is a woman is um, not uh, something that is just glossed over. Uh, it's a big deal, and uh, Eileen sees a new sort of spark of life in Anne Hathaway. Uh but I feel like what I'm describing doesn't get at the actual tone of the movie, which is uh, darker and more lurid um, and funnier than the the kind of uh, coming of age that I seem to be describing. Um, and that's partially because I'm intentionally keeping some, you know, it has, it has a pretty... Uh, uh, it, it has a pretty freaked out third act that I don't like want to, uh, uh, spoil, but, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really, really terrific. Um, the, the lighting and, uh, costuming and hair all, uh, uh, all help to, uh, evoke this like, um, repressed cold world, um, of of 1960s december in massachusetts uh and anna hathaway i just i just love her anna hathaway and um and and she lays it on pretty thick and i mean that in the best way the best way possible all right uh we're near in the end here um because i just recently caught up finally with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, which I, I say finally like caught up with it. Like it was like, I was, you know, champing at the bit to see this movie. I wasn't really, but it's for your consideration season. And so sometimes they do screenings and I was like, oh, I, I missed this movie. Here's a chance to see it for free in a theater. Uh, why not? Uh, I'm free that evening. So uh, yeah, I went and saw it and I really, really liked it. Um, I knew from the trailer that I was going to be into the animation style. Um, I think I liked the animation style even more than I thought I would. Uh, um, meanwhile, the movie is funny. Um, it's I mean it's it's made it's aimed at at, at kids, uh, which is maybe why Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg are the right people to have written it because they're um, you know forever kids um but uh but the movie is also very exciting um and 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 fun the action is is really well executed and the music i I mean both the score by trent nersner and atticus ross kicks ass and the movie is when it doesn't have that kick-ass score it is otherwise uh, replete with 90s hip-hop needle drops um, it's the movie is so fun to watch and flies by I just I really really liked it um, okay next up Ava DuVernay's new film Origin which uh, I was excited about and did not disappoint um, it's a really fascinating movie in that it's it's essentially it's based on a nonfiction book called cast that uh from what i understand from the movie um attempts to uh 
find the through line between different forms of um, uh, oppression from black Americans to uh, Jews in Europe in the 30s and 40s to the ongoing uh, caste system in in India and and hit some other points in between but those are the those are the main ones um, so that's the book cast that the movie is based on but that's obviously that's not that's a non-fiction book it's not a drama this is a narrative movie in which in which uh, Anjanou Ellis Taylor um, plays Isabel Wilkerson who wrote the book and um apparently according to the movie uh wrote the book during a time of great loss in her own life where, where multiple people who were very close to her died in a short period of time um and so the movie is like a biopic about isabel wilkerson you know finding a way forward a way through her pain by focusing on her work but it also works as an adaptation of the book because it has so many conversations that are just her interviews for the book in which uh, we um, have these ideas laid out for us. So it's a it's a mix of biography and polemic, uh, but um, is also a reminder that Avery DuVernay is not just um a voice on social issues she's an incredibly talented filmmaker uh i mean i liked a wrinkle in time i know some people didn't but um uh, tyler and i were both were both fans but i loved selma and um but the last thing she, you know she did um i didn't see the uh hbo miniseries natalie did uh but um when they see us about the central park five but uh i did see 13th the documentary uh but this feels like a return to sort of selma ish of like just really great filmmaking that is also in service of some really uh vital issues um and that's the way you do it i mean like you can't you no matter how right you are if your movie is boring, your message is not going to land. Um, at least, not to, not if you're trying to reach intelligent people. <laughs> uh, the movie is very well, very well made. Um, a decently well well made movie is J. A. Biona's Society of the Snow, which is about the Uruguayan rugby team who um whose whose charter plane crashed in the Andes in nineteen seventy two. Um and uh yeah, I mean J. A. Biona is I I I don't dislike him. I love the orphanage. I did not like the impossible, but he's just kind of like I I think Society of the Snow kind of cements him as like all right i think this guy's just like a good journeyman um because society of the snow is a well-made movie uh that lays out the story i mean it um i weirdly like was very fascinated by this story when i was a kid and watched alive um 
which is directed by who directed alive is it frank marshall it's like someone who's a producer who only directed a handful of movies um anyway uh i watched live multiple times so i kind of know the story so i kind of knew enough to be like yes or no uh, but mostly yes i mean it's, it's pretty true to the story it's a fascinating enough story on its own um it just at the end of the day it just feels a little too expected in the way that it unfolds it is just kind of like relaying the story not getting that much deeper into it there's one thing that there's some like gallows humor but i kind of would expect in a situation like like that where like if you have to resort to eating the bodies of your dead friends to to live it feels like maybe this is just me but it feels like there would be a little bit more like trying to make (laughs) trying to make light of it to 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 get through and and and, um there is some there's one moment that's absolutely fucking hilarious to be honest but i i kind of wanted there to be more because not because i think the situation's funny because i think it would have like given uh more dimensions more shades to the characters um it is interesting to because this is a you know jay Biano is spanish and this is a spanish language movie um it is fascinating in retrospect to think that i was watching alive it didn't even occur to me at the time that like the characters were uruguayan had the uruguayan names but they were play all played by like ethan hawk and josh hamilton and Ileana douglas and stuff like that uh in english um so strange but uh yeah um society of the snow it's fine uh i would say less than fine um and we're gonna end on this is south korea's official entry um for the oscars a movie called concrete utopia which um i guess is based on a web series like an animated web series maybe um and uh it's about a sort of um not too upscale but like a middle class apartment building that is sort of miraculously somehow the only building in what appears to be miles that survives a huge earthquake that kills most people in in seoul or at least this area of seoul and leaves the rest uh homeless and without any infrastructure or government or anything they're just like living among the rubble except for the people who live in this apartment building who then turn it into kind of a fortress to keep people from trying to take what's theirs what they see is theirs um so i guess this sort of like um class commentary and the commentary on sort of uh, every man for himself capitalist ruthlessness is pretty obvious stuff uh and i think that that's my problem with the movie is it feels like uh it's patting itself on the back for being like saying the right things about what i think are some pretty obvious issues and then 
um, peppering it with some mystery or violence or tension that is all very obvious and it it just feels like the movie's two hours and ten minutes in two hours and ten minutes long and like 15 minutes in you could kind of guess like the broad strokes of how this is going to go and there aren't a lot of surprises uh and i like when movies have surprises 